Welcome to the Inspiring Educators Podcast, a space where you can let go, learn, laugh, and be inspired. Let's first begin with introductions of our Inspiring Educators. Inspiring Educators, introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. It's Lila, the Educator Motivator, coming to you from Los Angeles. I'm currently a mathematics instructional coach at Manual Arts Senior High School here in the L of the A, California. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, my website at Miss Lila Nor. That's M S L A I L A N U R. We like to start this podcast off all the time with what we are grateful for to give you something to think about, um, as well as kind of hopefully you'll start thinking about what you're grateful for. And this episode, I am grateful for failure. I am grateful for um, being able to acknowledge failure and process it and push past it. I have to be able to accept it as for what it is because we all fail. I will continue to fail at things in the future, Um, but I will also continue to succeed more than I fail. So I'm really grateful for failures that continue to keep me um, realistic and to continue to push me to grow. So this week, it's all about failure. (laughs) Hey, Lila. Do you know what FAIL stands for? What does FAIL stand for? F-A-I-L, first attempt in learning. Mind blown. (laughs) (laughs) This is your boy, Dr. Christopher J. Childs, the academic rock star. I'm a mathematics consultant. I'm your favorite teacher, favorite teacher. Just like Lila, I'm on most social media platforms. My username or handle is at D-R-K-Childs. Hit me up on social media if you're on social media. And if you're still on some older plat- platforms, such as College Club, I think I still have my account for College Club. Hit me up. This week, I am grateful for teachers who are starting to get uncomfortable. A lot of teachers are beginning reaching out to me about different things they're trying to get it outside of their comfort zones. And I'm grateful to you all because it lets me know my work is not in vain. What we're not doing, what we're doing is not in vain because ultimately it's going to benefit the students which we serve. And we care about. All right. On this episode, we're digging into a hot topic that is all over the news. Depending upon when you listen to this episode, we're going to give you some references so you can actually read the article and see the news stories in which we're referring to. You can do a Google search. There's a teacher. I'm going to read the title of this one. And then we're going to break down the article um, on what happened in the classroom. And then we're going to have an open discussion. Set your price for a slave. That was a task that a teacher gave their students. Set your price price for a slave. A St. Louis teacher from Blades Elementary School has been placed on administrative leave for culturally insensitive homework assignment. Here is the homework assignment. Here's the task. You own a plantation or farm and therefore need more workers. You begin to get involved in the slave trade industry and have slaves work on your farm. Your, pro- your product to trade is slaves. Set your price for a slave. These can be worth a lot. You may trade any items you like. I'm actually mind blown to speak to Lila, a teacher thought it would be a good idea to do an activity on slave trading in 2019, 2020. What are your thoughts? 
I just don't get it. I I don't. I think these are people who are very unaware of. They're very unaware of the world, in in a very in a in a really oblivious way. Like you're just you're just not positioning yourself in in this day and time with 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 the idea of social justice, with the idea of making sure that you are are including everyone and and diversity at the top of your list and. And, and you're not being culturally insensitive to any group of people. It it just tells me that these are people who really just don't understand the world that we live in at all, like in no way, shape, or form. I, I don't get it. So the, the bigger question is, is getting educators to understand factual history in a sense but also become culturally sensitive to all groups. I don't think enough of us, I'm going to put the onus on all of us, are we're taking materials for source value and saying, oh, this is, we're talking about social studies and slavery is a good thing to talk about. Let's talk about the slave trade. And we don't even, I'm assuming this teacher has no idea, honestly, what the slave trade actually entails. You know, and I don't know. I feel like that there may be an understanding but it's 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 a desensitization that's happened around it where you have some people who say, you know, I, I feel like this might be, and I could be wrong, this might be someone who says, I don't see color. Or, you know, um, well, that was so many years ago. You know, why do we still talk about it? Why do we still dwell on it? And again, that might not be the case, but oftentimes these are the same people who, create certain activities like that or think it's okay to um, give certain activities like this in school where there's an understanding of what happened, but not really understanding the importance or the relevance or how it still is, is being perpetuated today. Here's my issue. And we're going we're gonna to use the context of slavery since this is an activity and we're talking about culturally insensitive tasks that teachers are using. We're going to also give you all some tips. I don't mind slavery being talked about because we still talk about the Holocaust. But what I do mind is the lens that slavery is always talked about from. Mm. What do I mean? Typically, when we look at the assignments or the tasks that are given to students, it's being created by, typically, let's be honest, a white male author. So they've always provided their narrative. Mm. And there's an old proverb that says something like this. This says the following, until the lion tells his side of the story, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Mm. Thinking about that, when we talk about slavery, we hate, I'm saying it purpose, we hate to hear black people talk about the bad parts about slavery in America. And there's slavery around the world, so I'm not limiting slavery to just America, but we're in America and this assignment was based in America. Mm-hmm. We never allow black folk to truly tell what it was like from their lens. Mm-hmm. We say, oh, that's racist. We get into racist. But slavery has been glorified in a lot of places. There are actually textbooks that say people wanted to be slaves. Yep. Mm-hmm. So until we have a true narrative told from a true cultural lens, black folk, we're going to continue to have these misconceptions as it relates to what slavery was. And we're going to um, I'm not excusing my language, going to have piss poor activities that students are completing as it relates to slavery. And I'm 
slavery belongs in social studies. It belongs in American history, definitely. So I'm not saying take it out. But I'm also going to challenge the educational community. When you talk about slavery, you typically talk about it through American land. You typically talk about black folk. I want to challenge you to go before slavery. What were the African people doing? See, we never do that when we talk about it through the lens of American. We only start, we only start black folk, America, slavery. We don't go pre-slavery and do the research to have a holistic picture painted of black folks' experiences. And we go pre-slavery, really African folk experiences in this world. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I, I think, like you said, it's all about the lens. And in all honesty, you know, that same assignment could be done with such a more, uh, su- such a critical lens that allows students to not only accomplish whatever the task was, which I, I don't understand what the task was or, or what that standard was that they were working on that day, but it, that allows students to still accomplish the same task, but to critically analyze the world through a particular um, context, right? Which could be the slave trade. And that's perfectly fine, but it's all, like you said, you know, just being able to, A, allow a Black person to tell the story. So, and you know what? I'm a a challenge. You have to challenge some people because at the end of the day, everybody's upset about this, right? There's many teachers who are, um, you know, who have read it, who see it, who are, you know, really angry about it. Is anybody going to make an assignment that counteracts that one that was created? You know, if, if we figure out somehow what the standard is that we were working on, is there someone out there who, you know, is pretty, um, who's pretty strong and skilled within that grade level and that standard or that, that context of, of history, or I think it was history, um, to be able to say, here's what an appropriate assignment would look like that we allow students to do some critical analysis, talk about the slave trade in, in a realistic light and, and not play the sugarcoating game. Because being able to, again, put that, oh, well, how much would this be? That's, that's desensitization and this sugarcoating. Who's going to actually make the appropriate assignment to counteract it? That goes with the importance of culturally relevant pedagogy. That term has been thrown out for years. And when I say it's been thrown out, I'm saying purposely it's been thrown out because no one wants to talk about it. And at a time when 51% of our students in today's classrooms are students of color, it's time to stop saying they're minorities and stop trying to treat them as those kids. And start, it's time to start bringing in who they are and their cultural background. In a nutshell, Culturally relevant pedagogy is just the intersection of culture and teaching. That is the watered-down version so our listeners understand. But the I, I call her the godmother of this, or if you call some people call her the OG in the field when it relates to this, is Gloria Latson Billen. She started everything as it relates to culturally relevant pedagogy, cultural response to teaching, and essentially it's a more formal definition, but again for listeners, we're looking at through the lens of intersecting culture and teaching. Schools of education have long and pre-service and in-service teacher programs and school districts and universities have so much focus on we got to teaching, teaching, content knowledge, pedagogical knowledge. No one, I don't want to say no one, most schools do not take a strong, no, 
most schools, I won't say none because the ones are going to hit us up and say, yeah, mm-hmm. we do. Most schools do not take a strong stance at integration of students' culture outside of white American culture. Mm-hmm. Until we have a true integration of the two, it goes back to Lila's point earlier. When you see lessons like this, your limited cultural lens thinks it's a good idea. But until you're able to integrate other students' culture and these teachers are prepared for this, I'm putting the blame on both free service program and in service. We have to start. I'm gonna be honest. I don't give a darn if my kid can add two fractions by finding a common denominator. But I have more value if they can actually do some problem solving for those. I don't care if they can just do the procedure, what mm-hmm. I'm saying. I want to do some problem solving and integrate culture into it. So it's going beyond just traditionally what we've taught, because traditionally what we taught has not worked. Students are not succeeding listening to our last episode. So students are not seeing what we're doing is not working. So at what point do we say, oh, what Gloria Latson Billings has been talking about for the past 20 years, this cultural responsive, it may be some meaning to it. I definitely agree. It's, it's loaded, and it goes back to what we've been talking about. If not now, then when? When are we going to finally put it at the forefront? We're going to finally make it a priority, because this keeps happening. I think Chris, maybe it was maybe I want to say at least four or five months ago, where he posted on Twitter someone who had posted a extremely culturally insensitive um, assignment to teachers pay teachers, and people on there downloading it. That's the cool part is that not only did this post person post it, multiple people said, "This looks great. I want to use it." Download right. If not now then when do we start to take this, these types of things seriously? You know, you have to wonder what do these conversations look like amongst these groups of people? Is there somebody that are, that's listening to these conversations or, or collaborating with people and you're not saying anything that you're not speaking up? This is, it's a, it, it's not about, you know, it, it's not for all black people to come in and do this saving. Right. You know, and, and the onus ends up end up it ends up being on us to to continue to say something, to continue to to post, to continue to uh, uh, counteract or, you know, push against all these things that are happening. And it, you know, it should not be my responsibility, because at the end of the day, when uh, the group of, of, of white teachers up in Lancaster took a picture holding a noose um, at, at an elementary school because they were talking about, I guess, like this hypothetical hanging themselves um, because they didn't want to come to work or something like that. And was there nobody in the group that said, wow, something is not okay about this, right? Is there anybody who, who's around, right? Because when you're sitting in these situations or you're listening to these types of conversations happening, we can't be passive um, when it comes to making this movement happen, to making these changes, these systemic changes. Um, or, you know, in this case, these are changes amongst, you know, people's within their own classroom. It's not even about a big um, system, to be honest with you. Are there people, not just Black people, who are seeing and hearing and witnessing that can be a part of things changing? So if we think about things changing, here are three points. Here are three things for our listeners to do. First, you need to expand your knowledge base. Stop using just what's in your textbooks or what you learned in school as your knowledge base. If the only thing you know is what you've been taught, you have not been taught anything. Mm. 
You have to do your own research. And over time, you have time to read a book. Just get you a book and start reading a book. You may focus on, let's say, first semester social studies, second semester reading a book on math. But you need to start expanding your knowledge base because obviously most people have a limited experience. So how do you mitigate the limited experience? You study and you learn. Second, you need to identify some critical friends. When you find an activity about slavery, and again, any since any topic, you should have a critical friend before you teach. You can say, hey, I'm about to do this task, social studies. I'm about to do an English test. It doesn't have to be a slavery. It's any task. You need a critical friend that can say, hey, I don't think it's a good idea. Or I think it's a good idea. Or we need to do this. But who is your critical friend when you're preparing your lesson? That's why I like lesson studies. When you work together collaboratively to develop lessons, you don't have to develop every nuance, but big picture, what are we teaching? And, and I know some people, well, I'm the only person in my building. With technology, guess what? The world is flat. You can find someone around the world. <laughs> Lastly, so everybody will say, Chris, is, you, it's always about race. Why do we keep talking about race? The reason we keep talking about race, Andre 3000 said it best. Andre 3000 said, across cultures, darker people suffer most. Why? Repeat that. Across cultures, darker people suffer most. Why? Mm. That's why race is an issue. It, race is a false construct. Study the history of race, you'll find it's a false construct. But it's been used to separate and divide people. Since it's been historic, historically used and present day uses to divide people, we're going to talk about it because it, if we can use it to divide people, we can also use it to bring people together. Agreed. Final thoughts on this culturally insensitive lesson, Lila, and moving forward with our teachers. Final thoughts. I'm going to piggyback on your point number two, which is find some critical friends, right? Some other people within your circle, in the circle being the entire world, <laughs> as, as Chris pointed out, to help you kind of an- analyze if if these things are, are are appropriate, right? Because it's obvious that some um, some people don't necessarily know how to do that analysis themselves. You got to find other people, you know, especially when it comes because we again we're talking about race, especially when we start we start talking about race. You gotta stop and really think. Is this culturally insensitive? And a lot of people feel like, you know, everybody's like really on edge now. They feel like, every, you know, and, and it's this, this conversation that no matter what somebody says, you know, they feel like they're walking on eggshells because everybody's going to have something to say. Yeah, because we're more aware. And when we have an issue with things that are being said and we have more platforms to be able to speak out against it, you got to find more people and, and do some betting before you get, do some posting. I like that. Do some betting before you do some posting. This leads to my favorite part of the episode, which is the inspirational moment designed to inspire you to keep you going. Tonight's inspirational moment is being brought to you by your boy, Dr. Christopher J. Childs. Dr. Christopher J. Childs, take it away. You know, Chris, I'm going to take it away. It's going to be simple. It's going to be straightforward. It's going to be to the point. It's based upon something Lila stated earlier in the episode. Stop being passive. Stop being passive. The time is always right to do what is right. There's an old, it's not, it is actually an old saying, but I remember seeing this in the movie. And the guy was telling the kid in the movie, he kept messing around, time waits for no one. Every day that we pass, every moment that passes, guess what? Time is not waiting for us. 
What are we going to do to move forward to make a difference, to make a change for the students that we say we care about? And I always say, not the students we care about, I say the students we say we care about. Because if we cared about our students, guess what? Schools would be better. Students would be academically achieving. We want to get out of our comfort zones when it comes to our instructional practice. We want to continually keep focusing on what we've always done and what we what we've always done. What we have always done hasn't worked. Also, the demographics of our schools are changing as it relates to the ethnicity of the students in the classroom. Guess what? We need to start treating students of color as a majority, which they are. Does that mean you're taking away from your non-students of color? No. What that means is everyone is getting a better learning experience. Well, Chris, you know, in my district, it's um, 90% white. Guess what? When your students leave your district and they go to the real world, it's going to be a lot of people of color. So regardless of where you're at, diversity matters. Culturally relevant pedagogy matters. It's going beyond, again, what you've done traditionally. Too many people speak from their limited cultural lens. Not cultural lens, their limited locale lens. Like I talk to a lot of people, like Chris, I've been teaching for 30 years in the same school building in the same town. And they're trying to make national decisions. I'm like, no offense to what you've done. I appreciate what you've done, but you have a limited lens. Until you've seen the vast United States or the world and seen different places, you can't start talking to me about education. So we have to, again, you have to get out your bubble before you start trying to make these national thought leader decisions. When you get out your bubble, then we can have a conversation. Because things are different around the country, so we need to do things differently around the country. Get out of your limited thinking. And if it's not you, who is it going to be? You got to look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, that person that you see, is that the person that's going to make a difference for the next generation? Or is that person that you look in the mirror, you're going to pass the baton to someone else and say, it wasn't, it wasn't my job. We have to do better at educators because that slave activity first had never been created. And I guarantee you it's on some open source resource. I'm going to find it. You know me. But it should never been created. What we need is critical thinkers in the educational realm working to collaboratively to give our students the best educational experience they can. Because that is a traumatic experience that these students have gone through. Now my question is, what is going to be our reaction? So one, this doesn't happen again. Two, those students have a better educational experience going forth. This has been the Inspire Educators Podcast with your boy, Dr. Christopher J. Childs and your girl, Lila Noor. We'll catch you on the next episode. We out.